Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Maze and Perplexed podcast. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 6. Last week, and I, I point this out both because this is part of what we're doing, is trying to consider, and not, not go too deep on it, but the, the overall context. Um, the first, first words here is on another Sabbath. So we have a jump in time, at least one week in time, from the last experience that he had on the Sabbath where his apostles were eating grain. Um, and then he talked about you know, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And then we immediately jump into on another Sabbath. So it's setting up another confrontation. And one of the things that, and one of the reasons why I want to do this back to back. And one of the things I really like about this is, and this has to do with just interpreting the text in general. And I don't know if it's true of Greek and Hebrew or true of all texts, but repetition and a little bit of parallelism, I think is what they call it, where you present a similar idea and then you look for the differences. You know, what, what is the nuance? And sometimes it's really obvious and sometimes you really got to pray about it and, and look and, and kind of just ponder it for a bit. So I am curious about how that shows up. We, we have the same players that we've had the last few weeks in the sense that it's the Pharisees, teachers of the law. Um, there's an assumption that the disciples are there, uh, though they're not named in this particular text, but they were uh, certainly in the next. And so we we just assume uh, they are along for the ride. I don't know how much it takes away or adds to the text if we were to know that. I do know in general, it's useful to think of the people that aren't speaking, but have to still take on the, however this goes, Mm. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm guilt by association on this. And I just, I always think it's fascinating if you could interview the disciples um, in particular after these interactions, hey, at what point did you feel nervous? At what point, you know, is Simon the Zealot, Zealot, is Simon the Zealot, is he, is he like per his his character? Is he already sharpening his knife? He's like, let's go, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, this is how it starts kind of thing. Uh, Is the tax collector thinking, okay, if they put us in prison, we can get out this way. I know these people. Um, I just don't assume they're just a blank slate, just staring, you know, just with no expression while this unfolds. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure based on their own personalities and their own mood for the day and past experience, they're responding in some way, even though it's not named. Yeah. I, what's so interesting to me is you think about, about his uh, disciples being here and then you think about the Pharisees and, and it will say that Jesus saw, you know, how the Pharisees were feeling. And so the Pharisees came into this with an agenda, um, which is, is so funny. I, I just love thinking about, and this might sound kind of like new agey and proofy. I just love thinking about what the energy of that room would be like. Um, I have been in a room, I've been in rooms, uh, you know, theological spaces where there were clear sides um, and somebody was speaking and there was a, um, there was an agenda to like, okay, this person is going to say this or this person, we think this person is going to say that. Um, and so there's already that, um, that contentious, uh, energy that's, that's at play there. And that's just so, that's so interesting for me to think about it. Jesus entering into that space, um, especially for what, you know, Jesus is doing. He's speaking, he's speaking in the synagogue, um, like on the Sabbath and, 
going into that space is so fascinating because thinking about what Jesus, what, what would I think Jesus would do in, in, in this sort of given scenario? Um, you know, would he, would he immediately confront the Pharisees before anything happens? Would he just choose to not enter into that sort of space because why would he entertain, um, entertain the defiling of, of this, of this holy space? Um, but the fact that he does enter into it, and maybe this will get to, I'll get more into it about, maybe I'll get more into it in what perplexes me. But I think it's just so important to think about what has it been like for you when you knew, like when you were in a meeting and there were clear sides and you, there were clear expectations um, that people had for you, there were clear expectations that people had against you. Um, and, and if you have been in that room, you've been one of the people analyzing the speaker or, or, or whatever, it would, whatever it would be, I, I think we can kind of begin to understand um, what the emotions are at play um, and what just that room must have felt like. Yeah, I think that's really good. And it, it, it's fascinating to me that, you know, the, the last words that we are presented on the week before or, or more, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, my sense is that Lord is is Adonai. And in, in the in the Greek, it's, it's correlated with Yahweh. So he's saying quite a bit here. Like he's saying, I'm sovereign. I'm in charge of this. And that's like, well, how far does that go? Are you in charge of the whole law? Are you in charge of all of us? Are you in charge of, you know what I mean? So I don't know how it hit each individual Pharisee. I'm I'm saying they weren't happy. Yeah. And, and you're right. You know, it, we learn in the text pretty quickly. They're there with a very specific agenda. So let's go ahead and jump into the text. We are in Luke chapter six, picking up where we left off last week in verse six. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So, Jason, what amazes you? Um, I love um, the, the pauses uh, in this story. And I don't know if they're, you know, millisecond or there's a minute. That would be interesting to watch this play out. But at some point, Jesus realizes, hey, these guys are watching me closely. Um, and so he makes a choice. And so I might suggest, again, if I were Jesus's advisor, I might suggest, hey, I notice, I notice this guy's got the shriveled hand. I think I know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Can I challenge you to heal him silently? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. Just all of a sudden, the guy's like, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, wouldn't that give glory to God, too? Um, but but I'm just amazed that I'm going to go ahead and credit it as wisdom. Um, although if we didn't have God's view on this, I don't know if we'd see it that way. But he literally says, get up and stand in front of everyone. And then he asked the, the question, uh, which I think is, is really good. And really, uh, a, a, you know, if you have, have a heart that's open, a very penetrating question to put this in perspective. This is the best kind of question because it's like, look, I know you're simply thinking this small way, but let's think much broader, mm-hmm. you know, and that helps enormously when you're trying to think of the things of God and you'll get caught up in the, in, in you know, the minutia and like, wait a minute, let's step back and say, how, how do we know God feels in general? And then we're going to apply it to this specific situation. But it's like that whole idea, if he gets him to stand up and I just in my mind think he's standing there, you know, 
a little bit uncomfortably too long. Um, and then he asks the question, and he looks around at them all. And how long is he taking to look around at them all? Is he making eye contact with them all? Are the Pharisees even looking at him? You know, mm-hmm. Because once he asks the question, it demands an answer. He doesn't answer it with words, um, but he says, stretch out your hand. He does so. His hand is completely restored. And then you have this other pause while the hand is being restored, whatever that looks like. You know, and now is the guy we don't hear in this situation whether the guy's jumping up and down for joy, the people are marveling. We don't we don't hear that. We would assume because I don't know, ninety nine percent out of a hundred times, if I or if somebody heals somebody really, and you could tell, like it's not like, hey, go ch- go check with the doctor and see if this worked. But I mean, the guy has a shriveled hand and then no longer has a shriveled hand. Then the I think there'd be awe and there'd be exclamation and probably celebration and you know a lot of you know, and, and I would think too, and this is an interesting thing here, we don't hear of it generating follow-up traffic, if you will, yeah. you know, so that's always the thing is how did Jesus decide this? But I just think it's, 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 it's fascinating. It's amazing to me that he knew in this situation, I'm not only not going to be silent, but I'm going to do it in a way that you can't look away. You know, you mm-hmm. just can't look away because once he stood up, everybody in that space knew the healing is what's on the line, whether he does it or not, you know, and in my memory, this is the first time he's healed this specific thing. Yeah. And so that from the disciples perspective or anybody that had witnessed miracle before, it's like, well, you can do the water to wine, but what about this? You know? And so I think that's, that's just amazing. Yeah. So I, what, what's so, inter- what's so interesting to me about, about what you're saying and, and everything that's going on here is you try to think about the perspective, like the different feelings and emotions that are that are happening here. Um, it prefaces this whole passage, this whole interaction, by saying there was a man whose right hand was shriveled, um, and then it goes. Then the Phar- the, te- the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so you you get this even more of attention than I initially described of of. So, like, is the expectation we're walking in here and the Pharisees, the people that I've looked up to my entire life, they're looking at me because, like, they know that's the broken man. If she's going to do anything, if she's going to use anybody in this room, he's going to use them. And so the Pharisees are probably looking at this guy as an object. Um, and I think it'd just be so easy. Like, my, my, like, what you said was, like, so right. Like, how, if I was Jesus advised, like, just, just do it on the down low, catch him at the end, be super easy. Um, but you also, you wonder here, is Jesus, is Jesus doing something for the dignity of this man where like clearly um, people would have viewed his, um, his, his injury, um, his disability as a, uh, as some sort of failing. And clearly the Pharisees have no problem with viewing him as an object or viewing him as a, a, a tension point um, in, uh, in, in their ongoing battle with Jesus. And so, yeah, what Jesus is doing here and standing him up and, and bringing him to the forefront of this, I don't, I like, I don't feel comfortable with it. And I think that's okay. Like I, I cause there's part of me that just goes like, I don't know this man, so maybe this is exactly what this man needed. Maybe his maybe his entire life he'd been he'd already been the center point. People had already he was already used to being noticed because he was you know the guy with the the messed up hand. Um, and now Jesus for the first time is allowing him to be the center of attention as a positive thing. I, I don't I don't know, but even still in that positive thing, he still is now you know catching some flack, possibly catching some some strays from the ire of the Pharisees. So yeah, I. I want what what amazes you also amazes me, but I also go like I don't feel as is I don't feel very clean cut about it. I don't feel I still don't feel great about it. Yeah, and I, I think that, number one that's good, 
I, that we can say, I'm, I'm struggling with this because I think that's what the scripture really demands. I think we should feel some concern if we're, every time we read a scripture, like, ah, that's right. He did mm-hmm. the right thing. Um, that's probably because we're not thinking uh, enough with that scripture. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think it's very fair to say that, that if you were in charge, let's say you're not a Pharisee, but you're somehow in charge of this gathering, however they're gathered around, and so you're in a synagogue and there was, there's teaching, you know, that's going on. If I'm involved and all of a sudden Jesus says, like, is there a guy up there going, of course he's speaking Hebrew, I'm sure, but, but is there a guy there reading from a scroll and Jesus is like, get up and stand in front of everyone. Like, imagine if you're speaking at a church or any gathering, you know, you're in a meeting at work and all of a sudden somebody stands up who it's like, okay, you're a guest here. Stand up. I mean, the whole thing, if you don't trust Jesus' heart, you'd be like, what a jerk. Mm-hmm. He'd, like, I, I've always, and I, too much so, but I've always really been, I was about to say hated, and I do hate the experience, not the person necessarily, but the person that will stand up and say, hey, I know we're doing this and you planned all this stuff, but I'm going to go this whole different direction that will really offend, I don't know, 20 to 50% of the people here. And I'm like, that's not loving. Oh yeah, that, that's really that's a really convicting thought because I've I've been in those groups. And don't be wrong, I think sometimes because those people were not the son of God, there were times where that those people were wrong to do what they did. But my my initial reaction anytime anybody wants to break from the group in that way and the established pattern and, and um, is always to assume that they're making it about themselves, that they're being selfish, that they're you know whatever. Um, so yeah, you saying that is very convicting to me because I've never. I have given token thought when somebody does something like that. It's like, well, maybe it's of God. But then I give a token thought towards that way. But it's like, but most likely it's not. Most likely, most likely the thing that makes me comfortable is the thing that God wants. Um, and the thing that makes everybody, not even just me, the thing that makes everybody in this room more comfortable is what God wants. When you go, that, that where, where do I see that in the life of Jesus being the pattern? Yeah, and, that, and furthermore, too, is that that idea of where do I see it, like you're saying, where do I see it in the life of me? That's the pattern. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a situation where I was with some students, and when we'd sing praise, we'd oftentimes just huddle up almost, and we'd just sing, and we might go 30, 45 minutes, just kind of, you know, whatever we had the energy for, the time for. And this one particular time, there's a friend of mine named Tyler, and it's funny because tonight, he, he runs a ministry that, that's really cool, and he's doing a webinar tonight on how to connect to that ministry, so it's, he's really on my mind. But he comes up to me beforehand, he's like, hey, do you know the song, um, Listen to Our Heart, uh, and, which was a song that was sang quite a bit, and I'm like, sure, and he goes, I would like to lead that for the the time of our devotional, and I'm like, sure, and he's like, no, I want you to understand what I'm saying, I'm going to lead it over and over again for the whole devotional, and he was a, he was a leader with me. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, I don't know. But I was I was in a zone where I was like, I really want to watch for God. I really want to watch for God. So we did. We sang Listen to Our Hearts, I don't know, 15 times? Wow. I mean, it was a long time. And what was fascinating is the first time was very meaningful. The second time was like, oh, we're doing this. <laughs> the, the third time is like, what a jerk. You know, the fourth time is like, he is such audacity. But there was something that changed as we sang it. Yeah. And I, I've, it's almost like you, you taste the words differently and you feel the, the emotion, you notice different emphasis, you emphasize different things yourself. And so it's just one of those times I'm so grateful. 
I didn't use my power to stop it. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think I could have been fine too, as long as my heart sure. with God was right. But but it is that it is that providing space for God to do things through people um that you've not thought of. Mm-hmm. You know, or not the people you've not thought of and what they're what they're suggesting and saying, hey, there are sometimes we're not Jesus, and yet there are sometimes we really do mm-hmm. function as Jesus in a situation. Well, and I think there's there's a harsh there's a hard truth that I think we have to internalize that we can be confused by what Jesus does often, and we try to. That's one thing we're like super. We try to be upfront with and try to be honest with. Um, but I, I think sometimes, at least, I struggle with seeing people be confused or frustrated with Jesus when they're in the moment. Um, and I want to assign a bunch of ulterior motives. I want to assume, um, that it's not, you know, coming from the right place. Like I think about your story. Um, like I, I've been in situations before, like a long devotionals that went on for 45 minutes to an hour or 15, where they were some of the most blessing experience in my entire life where people just would not let, let that night end. And it was so good. Then I've also been the 15 year old kid whose ankles just really hurt and wanted to go to bed and was like, you know, I have homework tomorrow. This is, this is really bad. And there would have been a youth leader that would have been totally justified being like, hey, we got to cut this short. This isn't as, love, this isn't as loving as it possibly could be. I know somebody has a big test tomorrow. Let's just you know, give some people the opportunity to walk away. Um, and that would be a completely justified reaction. And I think the, the, it's interesting here. Jesus confronts, um, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and their attitudes and their, um, their focus, um, their, their, what, what their focus is. Um, but I, I think it's important to remind myself, like there are probably people in that crowd, whether it's even the man whose hand is shriveled, um, or any other circumstance that we read about in, in, in the New Testament, where there are probably times where Jesus makes people uncomfortable and they're not morally wrong for being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's just hard because we're such a, we're so, we're, when I say we as like a society, I mean, and I put this, I, I'm always so worried about making people uncomfortable, about, um, you know, about coming off the wrong way or, or making people feel like they're not safe. Um, and again, that's not an excuse to be a bully. Like a lot of people use, use this, use this idea, but it is to recognize that like, hey, you can, something can be of God and you can still feel uncomfortable about it. And that doesn't mean that that feeling is necessarily dirty. Now, holding on to that, living from that, well, doing what the Pharisees did with that, that, that then it becomes dirty and wrong. Um, but somebody sitting in that room feeling uncomfortable, or even the man with the shriveled hand, if he were to feel like, oh, this feels weird that it's happening in this way, um, Jesus doesn't condemn condemn those people. From from my memory, I can't think of a time where Jesus does condemn those people. Yeah, that is a really good distinction. Um and and the idea, even then, the Pharisees in their in their fury, and it's not specific here. They begin to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Uh, that doesn't is you know explicitly say they're plotting his death. With there there are other times where they are explicitly plotting his death, but clearly that's what they're doing. How do we shut this guy down? We're very angry mm-hmm. uh, for all the reasons you would associate with him. Yeah. Do we get to everything that amazes you? So I think just a quick piece, and it combines with what we talked about last week. I think it'd be so easy if, if these stories weren't connected to be like, oh yeah, it's okay to 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 you know to fudge a little bit on the Sabbath if it's a life. You know, you got to heal somebody, life save, you know, life saving or you know, life altering sort of thing. That's completely okay. Um, if this was the only thing word that we had from Jesus on the Sabbath, I think it'd be really easy to be like, okay, if it's a, if it's a massive deal, like a healing, you know, okay, we can, there's some fudge room here, but the fact that it's preceded by, um, the Pharisees being mad at, at, at the disciples for, you know, gathering grain and eating it as they go. Um, I, I think it's just incredible to me, um, how these stories, like you talked about, they parallel each other 
there's like there's a direct connection to them um and it would be so it's 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 so funny to me that jesus uses this that jesus doesn't use this moment right the moment he heals and changes guy's life hand forever to be like and i'm lord of the sabbath and you guys know what that means um he does it with the one before where his disciples are gathering grain and that whole interaction that that spurs that on and so i think what just hits me reading these back to back is just is just the amazement um that um it would be so easy to isolate these down and to be able to to be a legalist about about these things, to be able to be a legalist. But you've the the the, the broad spectrum here in these two stories, um, from what I would consider the severity or consider, um, you know, how urgent these things are, um, leads leads it to be near impossible to be justifiably legalist. That'd been a great name for a podcast if we were doing the opposite of what we did now, yes. justifiably legalist. Yeah. Or I, or Why I'm not amazed by this text. <laughs> um, the way I completely understand and I'm not confounded and can explain it to you. <laughs> I, I, I just noticed, you know, I'd, I had kind of framed this picture um, where it's like somebody else is teaching. Well, he's the one doing the teaching. And that's the perplexing piece to me is maybe the synagogue ruler was not affected by the Pharisee and teachers of the law. I can't imagine that's true. Um why is he just forcing his way in, you know, or are they asking him, you know, we have back when he did it in his hometown, they gave him, you know, and he, he read from a, a scroll and gives a very brief lesson prior to the invitation, which leads to his near death, you know, um, but, it, but it is that, um, why do they keep getting, it's, it's, it's almost like a train wreck. It's like, hey, let's see what to do. And maybe because it says, you know, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking around and they rightly so i think you've connected the shriveled hand but it's like it is perplexing to me how these people with power they're already angry he just said he's lord of the sabbath a week ago or two weeks ago or whatever and you know they they are watching it they're terrible at setting a trap maybe or maybe it's because they're like well certainly he won't be able to heal the hand but it is perplexing why they would keep giving him power or are you signaling to us, Jesus, we can just take over, you know, when we have a better idea. Now, clearly, Jesus's claim to fame is God was totally sovereign in him, you know, and this is why he didn't sin. It's that that he was always listening for God. What about now? What do you may do? Spirit, what do you may do? What do you mean to do? And so he was doing the absolute right thing. Um, mm-hmm. But man, again, to draw any kind of example from this, it's like what I, this isn't his synagogue. Yeah. We, he didn't have a synagogue. He's, he says frequently, I, I don't have a place. You know, I'm, I'm on the move. And so it's like, yeah, it just, it goes back to that mm-hmm. drawing attention. Um, yeah, I, I just, it, it is the, it's, it's how to negotiate the seeming audacity of Jesus. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. And I, I, I also wonder, I'd never thought about this before, but. You know, when we talked about, um, very early on, we started doing the series, we talked about Jesus um, in the temple, um, in the temple when he's a, when he's a youngin, um, wondering, like talking about the natural path for Jesus as this prodigy that understands the Torah so well, um, his prodigy of, 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 of changing his country by like going and becoming, you know, becoming a rabbi and working his way up and eventually ending up in, in these Pharisees' shoes. I, I wonder here if there's still a piece for the Pharisees where, you know, they... And I, and I don't mean this to be mean in any sort of way, because it's just the way 
power dynamics tend to work. They are so obsessed with their power, right? And they've had to deal with John the Baptist gathering all these people and causing problems. And they're constantly these these um, false messiahs, false prophets rising up. And you wonder if there's a piece here. They're focusing so closely on Jesus and they're so in tune. They're like, is there a way we can like kind of like co-op Jesus or we can get, hit, you know, like it, 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 at this point, have they decided yet? Yeah, Jesus's movement is completely separate from us or there's still a piece of like no we can use this we can you know we can um we can be a part like we can have him we can fold him in to, to what we're doing again that's just a complete you know who knows sort of sort of thing but i i never had that i never had that thought and so i want i wonder if there's a possibility here because you do go like you know is he so is to this point is he, is his momentum so much that they can't stop him like yeah because you go like if they can, if they have the power, why would you allow him? Why would you encourage? Why would you even dignify, like, sh- don't show up to his things. Like, ignore him if, if, if he's that far down the road. So you just go, like, what stage is, is, is his movement at? Um, and are the Pharisees dead set in there? Like, is this, is this one of the mo? Is, is this the thing that goes, makes them go, like, nah, Jesus is irredeemable. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think you're, again, we're, we're saying they were human like we were human and they were human and they had different exposures different um cultures life experiences but power and the desire to preserve that power are so hard to resist and clearly they do not um and you never know which pharisees are these you know i mean obviously there were enough pharisees at the end of jesus's life that there was not some big pushback in you know the kangaroo court as it was that that was like wait a minute let's consider this you know kind of thing um but i i don't think number one i don't think we have a right to perceive these guys are pure evil and i think it's wrong to perceive that i i think they're very they're they're giving into temptation at a regular rate they know a ton of scripture they've probably been responsible for doing a lot of good for the jewish people and mm. i'm i'm suggesting they've done a lot of bad for them you know the jewish people could be blessed a lot more if the pharisees were more sacrificial and the more you know Blah, blah, blah. What we always say about leadership that struggles with power. Um, but yeah, I think it's completely reasonable to think, can we bring him in? Mm-hmm. The words, if you can't beat him, join him, I'm sure were stated after Jesus you know, was gone. But the concept was there, mm-hmm. you know, because you see this constantly. Anytime a storyteller tells a story, there's going to be some kind of power tension. If it goes on long enough, there's going to be that, if you can't beat him, join him kind of feel I just have to think that's got to be on their minds. And did this push them over the edge? Which that raises another question. Him not even directly addressing them, was that worse for them? Yeah. You know, Pharisees, can I have a sidebar here? Hey, Pharisees, I'm just curious. You know what I mean? Or just like we showed up here. And like clearly, you like I said, they're making direct, he's making direct eye contact with them, and you go like they they showed up, they're actively engaged, and like Jesus responds to their attention, their anger by addressing what they're doing, but also ignoring them in a mm-hmm. way. I mean, the that is about I, I don't mean this in a in a negative way, but like you could allow yourself to feel completely belittled, um, and you have this guy who suddenly like did he call himself the creator he called himself god before and now mm-hmm. and now like we we show up in this place and he knows that we know that he knows that we're like we're mad and and <laughs> right. and then he just does this healing and then doesn't even he doesn't address he doesn't like he asks a question a theological question and then kind of addresses it but he he casts us in the completely wrong light you know he gives that like he straw mans what we would say you know you could see how it'd be so easy to be a pharisee to be like well of course like like 
Jesus, you, you asked this question. That's not how I'd ask the question. You know, I'd ask it in this way and, and you paint, you put the best foot forward. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I think, um, it's just so, uh, the, the tension in this room is like, and I get, I've been in that room before. I've been in those rooms, been in those rooms before where there was tension and you're like, okay, now it's going to be addressed or whatever. And then something was said or something happened, but then there wasn't that direct conflict that everyone thought was going to happen. And then you like, you leave there and you go, what? Like yeah. I, the, the, we were, it was all coming to this crescendo and then it, it just never happened. Well, and yeah. And I mean, this is most likely first six months of Jesus ministry, I'm guessing, you know, and so, yes, they're trying to figure out what to do. It takes them a minute. You know, it takes them a couple more years to figure out what to do with him. And I think that is, that within itself is fascinating. This is different than the just complete, um, oh, there's a good phrase I'm missing out on, but just the passion when his hometown people hear him compare them or say the Gentiles were superior. Mm-hmm. That's just impulse. That's just, you know, yeah. uh, a crime of passion. And so this is much more methodical, which in some ways makes it much more evil uh, because they're like, all right, now we're going to start planning. You yeah, know, that's good. So what's perplexing to you? So what's, what perplexes me? We've talked about this before. I just I wish I wish we got more clarification from the gospel writers because we see things like this before where um, the wording that we see in the NIV um, is. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man, get up with said to the man with a shriveled hand. Jesus knew what they were thinking. I, I just want to know so bad. Is this magical superpowers? Is this Jesus so perceptive and so in tune with the human condition and, and can just read people so well? Or is it, you know, miracle is or is it miraculous or is it a combination of both? Because like I, I just want to know. Because Jesus this seems to happen a lot where Jesus knows what somebody is thinking, um, or knows what someone's motivations are. And is the way that Jesus walks into a room, is he just so um so understanding of what's happening he's so in tune with people he's so he cares so much about people that when he walks in a room that's something he's so focused on or is it miraculous or is it a combination i just want to know and the fact that we don't get the clear answer is incredibly frustrating to me right yeah and i i think that is that is really true and i always think this way it's like god communicated what he wanted to which means and of course john says the end of his book there's so much that was left out, which means there's stuff that's left out, even of this story. And I mean, obviously, you know, what was the next thing that happened after he said, you know, did the Pharisees immediately get up and run away? That's why every time they make some kind of Jesus movie, there's typically some kind of complaint because it's like, well, that was added in. Well, it's got to be added in. There, there's no transitions between most of these stories. And so it plays out a little bit different or it feels a little bit different than real life because it moves from event to event and in some ways from tension point to tension point yeah. and i think that's the part that uh, that is really um it is perplexing is like why include this and not that yeah and and even flipping it you know have you ever seen somebody that i, I know you've done this with with younger kids you want to include them so you draw them up and you say hey teach with me and then you give them this role you know when i when i say this you're going to hold up this whatever this sign jesus could have easily said hey pharisee come here Let's talk together a minute. I want to heal this guy, and I want to do it, and I think this, you know, because it's better to heal than to not on, on Lord's Day. And he's like, I want you to stand here, and you say, we've decided this is good to heal, and then I'll heal him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and present, I mean, this goes against everything I've been taught on how to deal with people in power that I have a problem with, and I've called it the loving thing, and I'm not just disowning all that, but at the same time, I can't look at this text and think well that that's fine that fits and i'm like that's the opposite of how i do anything yeah and i think i think it's helpful it's what we always talk about because there are times when jesus will do something 
we'll, we'll not follow this exact prescription for how to, you know, how to interact with the Pharisees or with people in power. Um, but it's just a thing. I think we, the, the drum we always keep beating is like, what have we taken off the table? What are we not allowing God access to? What are the reactions that we have just taken that we are not going to allow for God to possibly want us to do that? Um, and I think, I think for both you and I, I, I echo your thoughts. This is one of those things where like, oftentimes when I'm thinking about what God wants from me in a situation, this attitude, these, these little way that Jesus handles this, um, I naturally just assume, well, God's not going to do it that way. God's not going to want me to do it that way. That, why even entertain it? In fact, I think oftentimes, oftentimes it's not, I don't even have to think through it because it's just an automatic no in terms of the possible things. And so it's just always important for, for me. It's a good reminder. Today is a good reminder of like, okay, I need to, I need to put some things back on the table. Um, and there are things that I need to allow scripture to teach me that I have already, that I have taken off the table. And this is one of those things. Thank you for listening. Grace, peace, and love.